Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Nick. And my name is Yiman Chen. I'll be joining Nick as co-host. And today we are here with Jahan Shah. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So we've been talking to you a little bit and uh, we've been really interested in your work, which involves radars and planets and the moon Titan. Can you tell us a little bit about what your work is? Yes, for sure. So as you mentioned, I do uh, work on Titan and really I study Earth as an analog for Titan. So what makes Titan really special is that it shares a lot of similarities to Earth. So it has a very thick atmosphere, mainly made up of nitrogen, very similar to Earth, and a little bit of methane. And it also has liquid on its surface, which is the only other planetary body besides Earth that has liquid on its surface. But obviously, it's not the same as Earth. So it's not water, but it actually has methane and ethane lakes. Um, So that's really exciting. So because of the similarity, I study Earth as an analog to understand what's happening on Titan's surface and what we can study um, based here on Earth. Exactly. So, but, you know, Titan, it's one of Saturn's many moons. Saturn has many. But what is the weird thing about Titan? Yeah, so as you mentioned, it's Saturn's largest moon. And what's really interesting about it is because I'm interested in surface processes, one of the things that I study is impact craters. And so what's really interesting is that Titan has very few impact craters compared to its neighboring satellites. And this is really intriguing because it's very similar to what we see here on Earth. So compared to our moon, which is also our neighbor, it has very few impact craters. And based on locations in the solar system, if you're neighbors, you should experience the same number of impacts through micrometeoroids and meteoroids. So it's really interesting to see how neighboring planetary bodies have different number of impact craters. And we think because Earth and Titan both have a thick atmosphere, that atmospheric shielding is a big part of it. Um, So not a whole lot of uh, rocks are able to get through the atmosphere. And also, it has active surface processes, so it's erasing away these impact craters. So that's a big mystery that we see. We are missing, essentially missing craters on Titan and on Earth. Hmm. So tell me how one goes about measuring the craters on these, uh, you know, these moons that are so far away from Earth. Yeah, for sure. So because it's so far away, the best way to study them is through remote sensing. So we send a lot of satellites, so spacecrafts. For Titan specifically, the Cassini mission, the Cassini-Huygens mission that orbited Saturn from 2004 to 2017 studied Titan and other Saturnian bodies very extensively. So it used varying instruments, and the one that I look at is radar, which is radio detection and ranging. So essentially what it does is it sends radio waves to the surface, and we measure the backscattered echoes. And it gives us information about the surface, so specifically the slope, the composition, and the surface roughness. So these are key properties when you're trying to identify and map craters on surfaces. And so that's what we've used for Titan, specifically, because because it has an atmosphere, radar is the only wavelength that can penetrate through it. Hmm. So you're saying radio waves, is that like the same sort of radio waves we are broadcasting through, like, CHRW Radio Western? Exactly. Yeah? Yeah. So then would it be possible, like, could our podcasts be used as sort of radio waves to to perform, like, radar measuring and detection for these sorts of things? Like, is there a difference? Um, No. So, well, there's different kinds when you have... um, So actually, 
we have Earth-based radio telescopes that study the mm -hmm. moon and Mars. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a satellite. It's just that you get a little bit more information and better resolution because you're closer to the surface. Okay. So you sort of like ping out some radio uh, waves. It comes back and you, and, and you, what, measure it? You detect it? Like, how can you tell what's going on just by receiving radio back? Yeah. So it has... It's very technical. So essentially okay. what it has to do is uh, if you have a rough surface, mm -hmm. your wave is going to bounce around a lot more before getting oh. back to you as opposed to a smooth surface because it's just going to hit and come back. Okay. So you're measuring the difference between uh, the signal that you get back. And that's how you can tell what's going on on the surface. Cool. Do you send like sort of sounds across the radio waves? Like, you know, like we might be doing through radio here or or what is it? Just energy just energy yes okay yeah mm -hmm. Neat. yeah and it's actually really interesting so radio is an active form of remote sensing okay um so you don't need a light source so you can basically you can operate this instrument all day long and all night long you don't really need the sunlight so it's a very effective instrument to use for um studying different planets well that's really neat but um you know you you say that you're looking you're using radars to sort of understand the craters of Titan, yes. um, but is there any limitations to that? I mean, for sure. So the resolution is always a big one. Um, and again, radar can only give you so much information. So basically, I look at additional data sets that we don't actually have available on Titan. So when you're looking at radar images, you're just getting information about the surface and the surface roughness. But as we know that there are, so in geology, there are lots of geological features that share similar characteristics. So for example, a volcano and a crater, they both look circular. So without any additional data sets, it's really hard to distinguish um, what the feature is. So I think that's one of the limitations that we have with radar is that there isn't, you don't get any more information than just like what's on the surface. And you have to kind of like, you know, speculate. But I guess that's true with sort of like any data set. If you don't already know what's there, it's kind of hard to categorize. And so is that why you're uh, looking at radar of the Earth's surface to maybe understand, you know, the data that we got from Titan better? Yeah. So Cassini, so there was a radar instrument on board Cassini spacecraft that studied Titan and it was able to map um, a very like close to 70% coverage. And so we mapped all the craters on there. By we, I mean the Cassini team and other researchers. Um, but what we see is that there's very few craters. And so we want to understand how many craters are missing. So craters are really important because they give you an understanding of the geological history. And they help you understand surface evolution a little bit better. So we want to have a constrained number, like a crater population. So what I'm doing is I'm studying craters here on Earth using radar. So we want to do a study that's going to give us, we want to do a comparison but because that because we only have radar data available for Titan, we have to use radar images here on Earth. Um, so on Earth, because it's so accessible to us, we've studied it using other methods. We've gone to the field. We have drill cores. We've looked at like geophysical data. Um, but really, what I want to do is do a direct comparison with the data sets. So I'm using radar, and what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand how many craters based on the database that we have of Earth craters, I want to understand how many are actually visible through radar and sort of use that to infer how many craters we would be missing on Titan. 
and kind of have a constrained population for Titan. Mm -hmm. Well, forgive me if this is a naive follow-up question to that, but why not just send surface probes to Titan? Because there actually was one, the Huygens probe, um, in which, you know, we got these incredible pictures, including of the touchdown. Um, Why don't we just send, you know, like surface crawlers and we just go there and, and measure that? Right. No, that's a great question. So here, the biggest part of this is money. Okay. So it takes a lot of money to actually send something out there. And it takes a long time. And with a probe, it's harder to... So, like, for example, like, Curiosity rovers on Mars, like, other rovers on Mars, it takes a long time to traverse a short amount of distance. Got it. So, because we want to do a global study, we want as much coverage as possible. Mm. And so, a probe would not be the ideal thing. Like, yes, we would learn about the surface in greater detail, but we just wouldn't get the coverage. Well... What is so interesting about Titan? Like, what is the focus on that as opposed to, you know, there's plenty of other places in the solar system and perhaps even beyond that we could go visit. But what makes Titan so sort of interesting, both to you and to, you know, people studying space science? Yeah, um, so Titan is really unique compared to, so Titan is considered an icy moon. Okay. And uh, because it it has an ice shell. And there are others, so like there's Europa and Enceladus, which are... um, other icy satellites that people are interested in. And it really, so icy moons, the, tr- the appeal there is that all of these have global oceans underneath their ice shell. Oh. So it's very interesting for astrobiology, which is why icy moons is a big hot topic mm-hmm. um, or a cold topic. Uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that's the appeal. Yeah. But Titan is a little bit different in the sense that it has a thick atmosphere. Okay. And it has liquid on its surface. So it makes it very similar to Earth. So this is so astrobiologists have done experiments to understand what this could have done. So actually my advisor, Dr. Catherine Niche, for her PhD project was able to show that if you take the contents of Titan's atmosphere and you give it electric spark, which would which is supposed to mimic cosmic radiation mm-hmm. that Titan experiences, um, it can create inorganic molecules into organic compounds and essentially make amino acids. So this is very interesting in terms of understanding like the prebiotic chemistry or like the precursors to life because obviously okay. amino acids are the building blocks of life. Right. Yeah. So I think that's like the general big picture um, attraction for Titan and why a lot of people are interested. Okay. And so these sort of conditions, you're saying there's an atmosphere, there's like liquids on the surface. Mm-hmm. Is that, is this unique to Titan in, in sort of our solar system? Yes. So besides okay. Earth, we haven't seen it anywhere else. Oh, wow. And actually what's really interesting is because it has this, it's it also has sort of like a hydrological cycle, okay. but obviously it's not water because it's methane. So it has a methane cycle, so it has a hydrocarbon cycle. Mm-hmm. So we see weather on Titan, we see rain, and we see erosion. Okay. And we see weathering. So there's a lot of processes that are very similar to Earth. So we think that it it mimics conditions of early Earth. So if we ever wanted to study how life could have originated, this is the place to do it. So sort of in the absence of a time machine, this is maybe our best way to take a look back at what the conditions would have been, perhaps. Perhaps. Similar, yeah. Or this is what we speculate. This is our hypothesis. And sort of how big is Titan, like, in relation to the Earth? Would it be similar at all? So it's much smaller. 
I believe, not sure on the exact number, but I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it's, I think Earth is 1.5 times bigger. Okay. Yeah. That's not that much bigger. Kind no. of. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah. Titan is bigger than Mercury. So if oh, that, wow. thing's, okay. that, that puts a little bit more into a better perspective. Do we know why? Because like Titan seems like a really weird moon to me mm-hmm. with an atmosphere. and But maybe I'm like like our moon biased towards our moon or something. But do we know why Titan developed this way? Like what made it so weird? Right. Um, that's a great question. And I think we don't really have an answer for it. We know that it got its contents from when it formed uh, from Saturn, mm-hmm. but we don't really know why it's been able to hang on to this methane and have this atmosphere that's still like an is active. Is Saturn methane-based as well? I mean, they're, like you get it from there. Right. Yeah. Okay. But we don't really, that's still an active area of research as mm. to why Titan is the way it is compared to his other icy satellites that right. we see. Yeah. Aliens? Could it have been the aliens? <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> oh, really? I, I would have thought that, you know, uh, you're talking about astrobiology, space yes. scientists. Yes. Um, are you hoping not to find aliens? <laughs> I mean, it'd be great. I just don't know if Titan is the place to find these okay, aliens. Fair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they think it's a what Earth was like in its early phases or when life first came to pass. Which right. is not yeah. aliens, I would guess. I don't guess. think we would find life there now. It's just really okay. cold. Right. Yeah. But it could have been seeded by aliens. Ah, uh, perhaps. All right. No, I've just been watching too many <laughs> sci-fi movies, maybe. But what I you said earlier was that craters actually, uh, when they strike moons or mm-hmm. planets, they actually form water for a brief amount of time, right? Or liquid? Oh, so... Um, Yes, I think you're so because it forms water specifically on ice. So mm. when you have this impact, because it's a high energy event, there's a lot of energy that's being transferred into the ground. So here on Earth, on rocky bodies, uh, we have something called like impact melt. So it melts the target. So you get melt rocks here on Earth, but on Titan, because it's a it's covered, it's it's an icy satellite. It has an ice shell. When it hits it's able to melt this ice for a brief mm-hmm. period of time. So you would have water essentially for a little bit of... Would it be too short for life to form there? Or do we not know? I'm not really sure. That's not my expertise, mm. but it would be very short-lived. Like it wouldn't be like millions of years. Like it'd be very short. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it'd be enough for it to like, you know. Mm. So you said earlier that Titan right now sort of mimics or is similar to what Earth might have been like when life first formed correct yeah however the difference is that titan is very cold so you think that life would not form there or no am i wrong about that so i don't think we could so i think in the way like so it's really hard to define life so life as we know it it'd be hard for it to exist on the surface right now Mm -hmm. just because it's really cold 94 kelvin so it's like about 200 degrees below zero Celsius. And so we think that, at least this is my guess, um, I'm not an expert in this area, but I think the idea is that if life lived, even for a short period of time, it would be in this water because life as we know it would need the water. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be in this impact craters where it's been able to create a little bit of water for a little bit of time. So maybe we would find like some sort of like remnants or evidence that 
maybe there were interactions that was able to create life for a little bit. Yeah. But if if life as we know it cannot form on Titan, you know, in the long term, that life would have needed to, you know, for this circumstances to be able to, for life to form on Earth, what are the questions that we want to ask when we start studying Titan more closely after, like, looking, after, you know, we get the results from your project and we may know, like, a closer um, estimate of how many craters there would be on there. What are some of the questions that, you know, we're sort of hoping to look into by studying Titan more closely? Right. So I think a direct, like a, the long term, uh, the long, the big picture of this project would be to understand essentially the surface processes. So once we have a better idea of the crater population, it really sort of helps us understand uh, the resurfacing processes on Titan. So we know that there are active geological processes. For example, we have plate tectonics on Earth, but we don't really know what the interior structure on Titan is like. So we don't know if there is active tectonics, but we want to understand what this process is that's being able, that's allowing these features to get erased and sort of like, you know, resurfaced. So it would help us understand that. Also, a better crater population helps us understand, uh, gives us a better idea of the atmospheric history because we believe that there might be some methane um, on the surface, like outgassing from underneath. So we would get a better perspective of that, just like a more comprehensive history of the atmosphere. And then we would also, so that number is really important for some models that we have um, on the evolution of Titan and the formation of Titan. So we really need to understand what's happening on the surface to get like the backstory and the comprehensive history. And so it doesn't necessarily like directly relate to the astrobiology aspect of it. It sort of helps us understand a big part of Titan, but in general, like any part of it is important to understand like the astrobiology side of it. Understood. That's interesting. So <laughs> you are working on your master's degree. Yes. Right now here. Yes. In uh, Earth and Planetary Science. Is that? Yes. So I'm part of the Earth Science Department and the Institute of Earth and Space Exploration. Okay, great. So can you tell us how does your research project for your degree, how does that fit into sort of the broader context of learning about Titan, of trying to understand it, all that sort of thing? Yeah. So the first part of my project is to understand the crater data set on here on Earth. And I think that in general sort of helps us understand how we use radar to study impact craters on any planetary bodies. Excuse me. Um, and then the next part of it is to translate what we've learned on Earth to understand how many craters we, how to constrain the crater population on Titan. And that, in the bigger picture th side of, the bigger picture of it, is to understand the surface process on Titan. So it's gonna give us a better idea of the surface evolution that we're seeing on Titan and what processes are involved and sort of help us understand the erosion mechanisms and how similar they are to Earth to give us a better understanding of essentially like, you know, the geological features that we see and not just like impact craters. I think it would help us understand more about like, you know, the marine environments, just overall a better understanding of the surface and how it's changed over time. Right. And so would this help perhaps future missions to Titan um, sort of be better targeted to know more about what they might want to look for, what they expect to see, that sort of thing? Right. So I don't personally think it has a direct um, application for future missions, mm -hmm. but I think in my mind, any sort of 
any science that you can add to understanding any aspect of the body. I think it's going to eventually help um, with mission planning and mission targeting. I think any, every little bit of information helps make a mission better. Okay. Sort of like the more you know. Exactly. All right. Then what is it about, uh, I guess, impact craters, space, Titan? What drew your attention, sort of personally, to this area of study, this field of work? Right. So that's actually a really interesting question. Um, so in my undergrad, I did I studied astrophysics. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed, I really liked space. Um, and what I found was that astrophysics is great, but it is a lot of abstract thinking. So it's a lot of math, a lot of physics, and it's very theoretical in a sense. Okay. And I really enjoy um, like hands-on learning, a little bit more like, you know, tactile. So, um, so my thesis in undergrad was a lot of like numerical modeling, but then I was also fortunate enough to do a more like planetary geology project. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that I, with that project, I knew that I wanted to be involved in like future missions within the solar system. And the best way for me to do that was to study planetary science. And I'm just a really fa big fan of moons. I like moons in general. And <laughs> Okay, well, no, what is it about the moons then? Was it like ours specifically? Are you into lunar phases, astrology, perhaps? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Oh. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I think that's a very that's a very intense question to ask space scientists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it controversial? controversial? Very controversial. Oh I've been asked if I study astrology as opposed to astronomy. <laughs> And I think it Probably physically too many pains count, me. Yeah, too many times to count. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sure that's like a joke in your field, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I have to tell you something, you know, really like space and, you know, moons and, and you know, extraplanetary uh, explorations. Like, I love that stuff like so much. And, I, you know, for a time I thought I'd actually go into that. But I always worried that if I went into it, the sort of mysticism of it, like the the uh, sort of uh, wonder of it might go away because then it would get clogged down by like numbers and work and all this. Clearly that's not happened to you. So what, it, you know, what keeps your passion going through, through uh, a difficult time like a master's? Oh, for sure. I totally understand that. And I would be lying if I said that that's never happened to me. I think you're right. Like, you know, when a hobby turns into like a job, it sort of like takes away the little like, you know, mystery and passion for it. And I think that's true as a graduate student. So a lot of my day-to-day -day work is on the computer and it's a lot of processing and like, you know, mapping. So sometimes you forget the bigger picture. So I find it really helpful and grounding to, you know, uh, talk about it sometimes. So I love meeting new people. And, you know, when they ask me about it, it sort of like, you know, reminds me again to, it sort of like reminds me of why I'm doing this and what the importance of it is. So I think it helps to talk about it and sort of just like, you know, take a step back anytime you're feeling a little down or overwhelmed. I think going back and it's important to know what the purpose of your project is because then it reminds you again of like, you know, why you got into it and what's so special about it. And I think one way that I really like to do it is through science outreach. So I like being involved in like, you know, science communication because um, it reminds me not just about my project, but just in space in general and science in general and why I study it. Because, you know, it helps me break it down and get people interested in it. And it reminds me why I find it so special. Very cool. Are you um, thinking of continuing on with this for PhD or what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, for sure. So I really enjoy the project and the advisor that I work with. 
and the lab environment. So actually, I've upgraded to a PhD. Oh, very cool. Nice. Yeah. So I'm hoping to stick with Titan. Nice. Yeah, for the long <laughs> haul. So in this field, what's your eventual dream for you to end up working as? So I think at this point, I would really love to continue doing research. So a research scientist and being able to help with future mission operations and future planetary missions would be the ideal job in my mind. Yeah. So you mentioned science outreach uh, just a second ago as well. Do you think that's something you'd like to keep up as you pursue your future studies? Oh, for sure. So I've actually been trying, been involved in science outreach all throughout my undergrad, and mm -hmm. I'm trying to continue that through my graduate career. Um, I find it really helpful. I think it adds a lot to what I do. Um, I think a big part of science is being able to communicate it to the public. Of course, yeah. Um, so I'm a big, you know, believer in getting the community involved in the science that's being done and getting them engaged. So yeah, I really hope to continue that throughout, you know, the future. Even as like, you know, an, a research scientist, I want to have that part of life where I get to share what I do um, with others in my community. What are you doing right now to sort of share? Uh, what are the sort of activities that you do? Yeah. So one of the big things that I'm involved in is um, an event called Science Rendezvous. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a Canada-wide initiative. And the catchphrase is to get uh, science out of the labs and into the street. So essentially the goal of it is to engage the local community in the research that gets conducted in, um, in their community. So like research institutions and local organizations that do any sort of research related to STEAM. So like science, technology, engineering, the arts and mathematics. And so just being able to showcase what's being done to kind of, you know, give people an idea of like, hey, like, you know, people in London, they have this big university, they have Western, and they know it's, you know, a big research institution, but they hardly ever understand, like, get to know about what sort of research gets done. So it's a great way for the public to come see what research there is and also a great chance to really just get all, all the community involved in science and get them inspired. Is, do you do that through, like, activities or, like, presentations? Like, uh, what are the sort of day-to-day -day or um, sort of material things that you do that day? Yeah, so it's a street festival, and we invite departments and local organizations, and they usually plan a few activities, and they just have it at their booth. So it's a lot of hands-on activities that people of all ages can take part in, and it's just to teach them about that specific topic. So if we were, you know, wanting to attend uh, Science Rendezvous this year, uh, where would we go? What sort of information would we need to find this place? Yes, for sure. So Western, this is our fourth year doing it. And so it's going to take place at the TD Stadium. Okay. And it's on May 9th, 2020. It runs from 2 p.m. to 9 p.m. And we'll just have a lot of activities um, and a lot of stage shows and just fun, fun activities planned for people of all ages. And if you want to find more information, you can find it at sciencerendezvous.uwo.ca. Awesome. We'll have that link in the show notes. Well, we are just out of time here. Um, so we want to thank you so much for coming in. We really loved to talk to you about uh, uh, space and radar and Titan today. And we're really um, happy that you came on. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. This has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Nick. My name is Yemin Chen, and our guest today was Jahan Shah. And this episode was produced by... Laura Munoz. 
And if you would like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Gradcast Radio. To listen to us, we are on the radio at CHRW 94.9. You can also listen to all our episodes at gradcast.ca or on podcasts like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. You can also find us some episodes on YouTube as well. Thank you for listening and have a great night. 